0: Well, life is full of questions, isn't it? All you have to do is be around a toddler for about two minutes, and they will remind you of that fact. My kids are grown up. I got a junior going on senior in high school and a daughter who's in college. So they actually would say, we're not the ones asking the questions. You, the parents, are asking the question. But there's lots of things to ponder in life, aren't there? Like at the movie theater, which armrest is yours? (laughs) Valid question, right? Or when does it stop being partly cloudy and start to be partly sunny? Valid question. (laughs) Do vegetarians eat animal crackers? (laughs) Right? And then there's one I actually know the answer to, and that is, if you're bald, what hair color is on your driver's license? It's not flesh, it's actually brown um, when I once had it. But there are lots of questions to ponder, some more serious than others. Significant questions, like they start early. What do you want to be when you grow up? Or what do you want to be now that you are grown up? Questions that are important. Then there are some questions that will change everything. It will, the question will change your life forever. In a, for me, in a good way, a question like, do you, Robert Perry Jr., take Kimberly Joan to be your wife? A life-changing question in a good way. Opens up a whole list of other questions. But you will face big questions if you haven't already. We all face questions. Jesus, being a great teacher, you would figure he he probably answered a lot of questions. Well, that wouldn't be completely accurate. Because if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books of the New Testament, you will see Jesus ask almost 300 questions. And if you zoom in on Mark... And you just look at Jesus. Watch where he goes. He has about 67 interactions with other people. And he asks over 50 questions. Jesus asked many questions. he say, why do you doubt me? What do you want me to do for you? Why do you look at the speck in your friend's eye when you have a plank coming out of your own eye? Jesus had many many questions. But there is one question that is the most important question that he asked the disciples. He's still asking us today. It's the most important question we could ever be asked because our answer really does shape how we process and how we experience life. It sets our priorities. It tells us what we value, what we think is right and wrong. It points us to how we're going to interact with others. It even has an impact on our eternity. It's that big of a question that Jesus asked his disciples. And we're going to look at that question today as we continue in this series called The Story. We're looking at God's story, looking at scripture, but all the stories in a chronological way and seeing how our story fits into God's greater story. And today we're going to look at that question that Jesus asked that is the most important question. But I want to get Bibles in your hands as we look at the story today. So ushers, if you will come down, they have Bibles. If you forgot yours, you can just use this. Leave it in the back on the way out. But if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to go home with the Bible and have one to come back with next week. The Bibles we're handing out, the, we will actually be on page 747 of those Bibles. If you have your own Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. Now, Jesus is kind of rolling through the hillside with his disciples. They have, they're coming out of like the Jewish region down south, and they're coming up north about 30 miles above the Sea of Galilee to a place called Caesarea Philippi, the most northern border of ancient Israel. And it's up there that Jesus asks this question. And what you got to understand about Caesarea Philippi is this. Caesarea Philippi is to religion as golden corral is to food. It is a place that is a buffet of religions. All the religions are out there, whatever you want. There's a hotbed for idols, idol worship. In the Old Testament, there was a shrine dedicated to Baal. But later on, it was more known for the Greek god Pan, which has nothing to do with cookware at all. If you can picture, this Greek God was like half man and half goat. And this, this Greek God, Pan, loved forest and trees and music and had a soft spot in his heart for shepherds. And it's in this place, this smorgasbord of religions, that Jesus stops the disciples in their tracks and asks them this most important question. We read in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" He's saying, "What is the beat on the street? What are you hearing? What are the people saying about me?" Actually, he doesn't say me. He says, "Son of Man." It's a title he used about himself often, 80 times in the Gospels. you read, "Son of Man." you would think, well, that's just a really humble thing to say. It, it, it's showing his human side. True, but it, was, it has a double meaning. Not only is he human, but it also refers to an Old Testament reference that the Messiah would come back. And so for those that are around, it, it's no casual statement that he's making. What they hear is, I am God huge statement. So Jesus said, what are you hearing? What are people saying? And you can almost kind of put yourself in there with the disciples saying, they're saying, who is this guy? Who is this guy that takes a little boy's lunch of just a few pieces and like multiplies it and has leftovers for a crowd? They're saying, who is this? Who is this guy that's coming from the mountain? He's walked down on the beach, and then he walked on the water, and he never sank. Who, who is this guy? We don't read that, but we read a response from the disciples in verse 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know in the New Testament, All these guys are dead. They're telling Jesus, you remind us of a dead guy. (laughs) They go on a little bit behind this. Listen, some of the people they're saying, they're saying that you are John the Baptist. You know how King Herod had that beef with John the Baptist and he actually had him beheaded? Well, Herod thinks that John the Baptist has come back and he's stalking him and he's coming after him. And that way that you know how to describe God in such a kind of an easy yet complex, but a way that we can understand, just like John the Baptist did, they think he's you. I mean, they think that you are him. They think you're John the Baptist. Oh, but, but I have some friends who think that you're Elijah. Elijah. You see, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, you know, and he performed some great, great miracles like, like you've done. And there's the prophecy that Elijah's to come back. So people think that you're fulfilling that prophecy. And Jesus had told the disciple, no, 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 no. That, that prophecy is fulfilled in John the Baptist. It's, it's not me. Yeah, but uh, one of our friends, they think you're Jeremiah. The you know, Old Testament prophet always going around and, and preaching judgment and really ticking off the people, getting them really angry, stirring up the crowds. They think you're kind of a reincarnated Old Testament prophet that just preaches this judgment and getting all the attention for it. There's so many different views of who Jesus is at that time. And it shouldn't surprise us that even today, He's just, Jesus is just as controversial today. So many differing views today, just like in Jesus' time. A pastor and author named Judah Smith recently wrote a book called Jesus is blank. You fill in the blank. And part of the whole media experience for publishing the book, there's a website called Jesus-Is.org. And people could go there and say, I think Jesus is, and they fill in the blank. So I spent 10 minutes staring at my screen this week just to watch what people were saying. And here's some of them Jesus is a lie. I like this one Jesus is smarter than Google. Jesus is cool. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is unconcerned with 21st century politics. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Messiah. Jesus is a dead guy. I like this one. Jesus is the marketing tool for the church. And then the last one. Jesus is not happy with half the things on this site. What was the last one? (laughs) Just like back then, there are different views of who Jesus is. And right at that moment, I wish I could have been in there, when Jesus kind of turns it. From who do the people say that I am? And he gets real direct with them. And he says this, but who do you say that I am? You know, they're going, oh, man, I cannot hide behind what others say now. I've got to express what I'm thinking, what I feel. Oh, Jesus, oh, no. It's a fair question, though. It's not like Jesus just met the disciples and he's asking them to get real deep, real emotional, real relational within the first hour. They have a history together. They've been together for a long time. They have heard him teach. They heard him say some things, some claims about himself, like... I have come down from heaven to do the will of my Father who sent me. Claim, I was in heaven. They heard him say that. They heard him say, The Father and I are one, i.e., I am God. They heard him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father. Nobody gets to heaven except through me. When I go back to heaven, I'm the way to be connected back to the Father. They heard him say many things, many claims, but they also, not only did they hear him, they saw him perform many miracles, if you just look back on the previous 15 chapters of Matthew, look at the things that he's done. He healed many, healed the paralyzed, healed the demon possessed, healed the blind, the deaf. He walked on water, he calmed the seas, he fed people with crumbs, thousands of people. He brought people back to life when they were dead. They saw all of this. They heard these things. They saw him stand toe-to-toe, bold, courageous in front of the leaders who were attacking him, and they heard him stand up to those leaders. And he's calling them in this moment to say, Who do you say that I am? And Peter opens his mouth. He's always the one that opens his mouth. We should be a little bit nervous when Peter opens his mouth. I can actually relate to Peter. But he, he's the spokesman for the disciples. He says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. He's saying, I know who you are. You are God. You're not the one of many that all the people are saying. You are the one. You are unique. You are God. You're here and now that's who I think you are. And what I love is Peter avoids turning this question of who do you say that I am, he avoids doing something that they did then and we still do today. And that is turn the question into who do I want Jesus to be for me? So we go there many times. Oh, well, I would like Jesus to be the the good citizen Jesus, where you make me a better person, I help the other person, and we help the planet. It's the good citizen Jesus. Kind of reminds me of like Build-A-Bear at the mall. You build the kind of bear, you build the kind of Jesus that you want. Maybe therapist Jesus. He'll cure all of my woes. He'll tell me that I am uh, just wonderful my therapist Jesus, or open-minded Jesus, where a Jesus who loves everybody no matter what, except for those that aren't as open-minded as me. Republican Jesus, Democrat Jesus. We start to build and shape a Jesus who fits our values, our expectations, our desires. We come up with this kind of Jesus. But Jesus is not opening the door for that to be true here. He's saying, who do you say I am? Not, who would you like me to be? He's saying, who do you say that I am? Simply, do you know what I'm saying about myself? What am I saying? And simply, do you believe that it is true? That's what he's calling us to do. And Peter got that. He blurts out, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You got to understand, Messiah, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. And if you've been with us for the story, he's saying, you're the one that the generations of our forefathers and since them, they've been waiting for the Messiah to return and to bring in a new kingdom and point people back to God. And Peter's saying, that day is today. You are here. He's saying that, and I love how he says, you're the son of the living God. Not only does it say you are God, but you are the, you are the living God. Where is he? Caesarea Philippi. What are there? A bunch of dead idols, carved images. Peter's saying, you are the living God. You are not dead. This is a defining statement that he's making. It's one that we ask as a church when somebody comes and gets baptized, we ask them to repeat that or to affirm the truth of that. In front of family and friends and those coming to celebrate for the baptism, we say, John, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came down from heaven, that he died for your sins, he was Uh, crucified, dead, and buried? Do you want to make him Lord and Savior? Do you believe that? It is that important of a statement. Who do you say that I am? We have to measure our answer by what Peter says here, who Jesus is. We know what everyone else said. We know what Peter said, but what about us? What about you here today? Who do you say that Jesus is? C.S. Lewis, a teacher, author, Christian, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in there, he helps us kind of navigate this question. says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can Fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis saying, "There's no mild answer. You are to have an answer, and there's no mild answer." And by the way, there are only a few options. Saying, "See, some of the options could be this one." Jesus is just a legend. There is no historical Jesus. Never lived, never was, never is. It's just a myth. And oh, it makes for great fables, great stories. And a matter of fact, stories that you can use to teach people. Yes, but, but legend. Jesus is just a legend. That is certainly an option. But if this is you and you're sitting here, you have to wrestle with the fact that there is non-Christian historical evidence that Jesus is not a legend, he actually lived. And so you have to sort through that and figure out how you dismiss that. But Jesus being a legend is certainly an option. Another one is, well, Jesus, he's, he's just a lunatic, Nut job, wacko, deranged, kind of like David Koresh, some really bizarre behaviors, said things that no normal person would ever say. You know what? He was so messed up, he didn't even understand that he was believing some of the stuff that he was untrue that he was saying. He was just that messed up. And, and he was so good at it, he, he convinced others to believe him, but he was a lunatic. That's who Jesus is, is a lunatic. It certainly is an option. But if you sit here, you have to ask a couple questions like, do lunatics turn people into better people? Like Jesus did? Do lunatics actually help people get better? And do lunatics win the admiration of all levels of society like Jesus did. Would a lunatic do that? You have to sort through that. Lunatic's an option. How about a liar? Jesus is just a liar. He actually knew all along Everything he was saying, I forgive sins, I'm from the Father, I am God, I live... All a lie. He knew it. You may say, you know, a a liar could easily form a startup like he did, get 12 people to kind of just leave what they're doing and kind of be successful at it. Yeah. But don't you think that at some point during the lie... He would have said, "I just kidding." When he was facing the criticism, having to carry the cross and the physical torture, and people spitting at him and crushing the thorn in his heads, in, in, in his head, don't you think that he would have said, uh, "Okay, it's a lie." Kind of like you know, ultimate fighting. I don't watch it, but there's that. The opponent will tap out, say, "All right, I give, I submit." Do you think Jesus would have done that? Like a kid who fakes sick and his mom calls the doctor and says, hey, Johnny's got this or this or this. Okay, vials of blood, all right? I'll, I'll be right. I'll bring him in. Johnny, we need to go take some. I'm out. I'm just kidding. Mom, mom, I just don't want to go to school. Don't you think that Jesus somewhere along the line would have said, okay, it was a lie. I never, I never thought it was going to go that far, but it, it did. I, I, I'm out. Liars, possible. Where does it leave us? Legend, lunatic, liar, but one other choice is Lord. That Jesus truly is who he says he is, that he is the Savior that our sin separates us from God, that there is no way to the Father except through him to be reconnected, that, that he was willing to die for that very statement, that love for his creation, that he truly is Lord, willing to die for it. It's an option that Peter accepted and declared and millions Millions since that day have declared the same thing. It's one that I did many, many years ago. But who do you say that Jesus is? Truly is the most important question you could answer. Because it answers fundamental questions, follow-on questions of life that every single human being thinks about. They may not utter, but they think about this. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why do things kind of look messed up? Can it get better? And is this it? How you answer this question can unlock those answers for the here and now and for eternity. It's a big, big question. It isn't going to be my words or a teacher or whoever's up here worship through song and communion and meditation that is going to convince you to believe. What I love in the follow-on verse, in verse 17, Jesus says, after Peter makes that declaration, Jesus says, you are blessed, Simon Peter, for you did not learn this from a human being. My Father in heaven has revealed it to you. You mean God helps us believe? Yep. So, would he help me believe? Yep. Absolutely. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The cross proves that. But Jesus helps me believe? It's not going to be some rational logic from somebody up here. Well, you know, definitely have to talk rational stuff. But you know what? In the end, it's God who helps you believe. And so the response is, maybe you're struggling with all this. You leave each week and say, wow, that's just foolishness. But there's something that drew you here? So I don't think it's just a coincidence. It's your step, your action step is to turn your, your confusion, your questions, into a talk with God. Pray these words, Father, just open my mind, open my heart, and help me believe. That's what you need to do. Scary, that's where freedom begins. I'd love to pray that with you. Every week, there's somebody down here, but Lord, open my mind to help me believe. Some of you do believe, but you've never declared that truth. Like, oh, uh, yes, Jesus is the son of God. He died for, me. but you have never accepted and declared that truth. Today can be your day to do that. You can always come down front, but you know what? You can declare that truth as you're driving home. But I would encourage you to let somebody know, you know what? I, today, I just said, God, I believe you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus for me and that through him, he's my Lord and Savior. Let somebody know that you've made that decision, and that we would love to celebrate that in baptism. And for some, you've already declared that. I've declared it. But Jesus' question today perhaps is a challenge then to us. Are we living what we declare as the truth? You see, the story has led us to this point. We have seen where our decision to go our own way, which the Bible calls sin, has left us disconnected from God. And the story leads us right to this point. If Jesus said what he said about himself is true, then that question changes everything. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you did not leave it in a way that said, well, fine, go your own way forever for eternity, be separated from me. You sent your Son, the Son of God, to come and to be our Savior and Lord, starting here and now, Savior for eternity. And I pray that everyone in this room truly wrestles with this question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? and can have peace in the decision that they answer it in. I pray it's peace knowing that they'll spend an eternity with you. And that all of us, once in that relationship, we grow in our faith, letting you be Lord and Savior more and more every moment of our day. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.